0: Welcome to Politically Enraged, The Lefty's Refuge. Politically Enraged is a podcast purpose built to discuss British and international disunity in political spaces, talk through ideas, introduce you to amazing people, and fight back against authoritarianism. My name is David Moo, I'm your host, and I hope you'll stick with us. Follow our Twitter at Political Rages. find us on Instagram and Coffee at Politically Enraged, and let's speak truth to power.
1: Hello, hi, I'm Joris Shen. So, who am I? That's a good question. I, um, so, I guess what I do I am a content creator, mostly on TikTok, where I've that's where I know David from. And we are both sort of screaming in our um, echo chambers, um, trying to get them a little bit bigger, I guess, uh, as best as we can. Um, I'm also a trainer on anti-racism, privilege and bias. This is what pays my bills. I work mostly with British universities, but I'm also a content creator, as I just said, on TikTok. And both uh, as a trainer and also as a content creator, I try to centre my work around my lived experience of my multiple uh, marginalized identities. Namely, I'm a black person. I am queer. And I am neurodivergent, so I have ADHD and I am on the autistic spectrum and I try to show how all of those experiences are actually similar in the sense that they experience the same kind of power dynamic and the experience of existing outside of the norm or outside of the dominant group. They can all be compared and and showing the, the power dynamic again between dominant group and marginalized groups. I show how all of that can happen even unintentionally and how all of that is the result of, of hegemonies and how we all must try to deconstruct those those uh, systems of oppression and, and how deconstructing one usually leads to deconstructing the other and how they are all intertwined through intersectionality.
0: I was yeah. going to ask, because I assume one of the things that's probably the most annoying, because I mean, you know, like I say it, all the time i'm i'm white i'm cis i'm a man the only thing i have against me if you want to use uh-huh. that language is that i'm gay which i can also code shift uh-huh. and hide but it's hard to hide that you're neurodiverse dependent on where you are on the spectrum it's you can't hide that you're black and stuff and these are things that i've realized through just listening to people talk but i'm assuming one of the most annoying questions that you must get must be like what which is which is the one that bothers you the most and stuff like that because Mm -hmm. they are all so intertwined so like how do you handle when people ask you stuff like that because it probably drives you crazy i assume
1: um not really because that's even a question that i ask myself all the time Uh, but i think that the comfortable answer is that it depends it really it depends on the context it depends on actually one of my content projects is to make a series where I would tell the same story, but then through the explaining, like the bullying that I experienced as a child. But then every time, it's kind of like what's that film, Grandhog, Grand Grandhouse Grandhog Day, Grandhog Day, yeah, Grandhog Day, where like it's the same thing and everything keeps repeating. And I, that would be the same kind of stuff. I would tell the same story, but every time through the lens of another reason why I might have been bullied, so for being gay, for uh, not having a dad for uh, for for being um from from another country for being black all of that and the lesson uh, the moral of the story uh, that i would like it to be is that all of those in, in um uh, interpretations are valid because they all combine it's not one that cancels the other out it's they all combine so yes race and racism have had a huge role on my experience but also my neurodivergence and also uh, my queerness all of that and and all of them are valid so that's the, the answer is it probably depends on on the moment as well if I'm in a majority black environment, then the fact that I'm gay is the thing that will make me stand out and is probably going to be the thing that defines my experience my comfort or discomfort in that specific environment if you know and and if i'm a, in a queer space then me being gay is not necessarily going to be the thing that affects me negatively at that very moment it's probably more going to be the fact that i'm a person of color and that i'm being objectified in in gay spaces and fetishized or, or purely rejected or not even seen uh, because of my my black identity so that depends on the context of the time on the time
0: on my mindset and on many other factors so it's all at the same time what do you think's like the most important lesson for people that are because kind of, like like as someone that kind of like like everywhere you look the word work these days but as someone that's kind of only recently started to actively be like right I need to. Improve on this and fix this and make people's lives better and easier and blah blah blah. Like, what's the starting blocks for you that you think people should work on? Because I know that I was doing it on my own because it was in the middle of lockdown and I was like, where the hell do I even start with this stuff?
1: Uh, do I have an answer to this? <laughs> I would say that it, it starts with with empathy, um, because the whenever people bring when I talk about my experiences of marginalisation, there are two uh, sort of ways to respond to it if you're someone who does not have that specific experience of marginalization. You could either say, well, I'm marginalized too because of this, like for instance, say you're a white gay man, Uh, then you could, if I talk about my experience of racism, you could either say, well, I know what it is to be marginalized, and I'm going to use that to, um, to deny your experience or to invalidate your experience. Or you could use your own experience to say, well, I don't know what it is to be um, racially profiled. However, from my experience of being rejected because of my sexual orientation, I can empathize with your experience and I can only imagine that it's something similar but probably worse than something that I would have experienced. So I believe that everyone has a choice when faced with an experience that they do not share. It's either empathise, and it's okay, because very often the discourse tends to lose uh, its nuance. So we end up with something like um, it's, it's always bad to try to relate to your own experience, because you're centering yourself, you are being selfish, and this is not the solution. No, I would be more nuanced than that. I would say that it can be okay sometimes to bring something back to your own experience, bring someone else's experience to your own, if you then use that to empathize with them. And if you whilst you're doing that you acknowledge that your experience is different and and maybe it might have been much smaller in in the impact Um, but you can still use it to empathize and that's still a good thing so i would encourage people to do that and i'm not one of those who say just don't try to connect or um, relate to someone else's experience don't try you're a white person so don't even try to compare to your experience of being gay because no i'm not one of those people i think that it can be really good but only if you really use it to validate someone's experience and not to invalidate it yeah um, i don't yeah so that the start would be and the difference between those two postures is empathy and what is important i think and something that i see my colleagues uh and by colleagues i mean people who are trying to do the work like you are trying to do i think that sometimes we try to convince people who from the get-go they have shown you that they are not capable of empathy and those people no reasoning will ever happen so this is why sometimes i, I get frustrated to see so much effort put into trying to reason, reason with people who are clearly not able capable of empathy and Maybe there will be at some point or maybe someone else will be able to. But when you recognize, when you understand that they start this conversation from a place where empathy is already switched off, there's no point in trying to convince them and doing like, yeah. So I try to focus on the people who have shown me that they're capable of empathy and they may disagree with me. But if I know that they have that empathy installed, then I can try to work with them. Uh, but the people who start the conversation with a comment, with a snarky comment or with like something that is incredibly condescending or something like that. I'm either going to ignore them or I'm going to use them to dunk on them because uh, for comic relief, because sometimes it's good, but I'm not going to spend my energy
0: trying to convince them. That makes sense. I think one of the one of the weirdest things that I have found is people will reject literal common sense in favor of holding on to biases that they have. And it's, it's, it's that, that I, I find it really hard to deal with because you know, like, like from my own examples, like as a, as a gay man, um, I've seen some horrific stuff this, to say it's pride month. I've seen some horrific stuff. I saw, I've seen two pastors in America, both saying that gay people should be killed. And you know, I, I, I spend my life posting things on the internet and I'm sharing these things and going, I can't believe people are saying these things. And then you get the odd person who's like, well, you know, and it's like, no, I, I, I don't actually know that's that. Like the, how can you possibly, and they'll do the, well, it's their religion. It's like, I, I understand that, but that, that doesn't mean they get to threaten my life and say that they want to line me up against a wall. And so when you're trying to instill some compassion in people like that, there is just a cutoff where they ju- you just can't get it over the hill and so with those people i just flatly go figure it out on your own because i can't i can't talk yeah. to you and i think letting go of trying to talk sense to those people is one of the things that's brought me a lot of peace and given me a lot more energy to actually speak to people that or indifferent, or didn't know about it. And I think one of the things you said that I find quite interesting, one of the things I was quite ignorant about, I've, I've always counted myself as, I'm really reluctant to use the word ally because I think it's grim, but like I, I've always said that I'm like a trans ally because I've had trans mates my whole life practically. But one thing I couldn't understand was non-binary. And at first, when I first started learning about non-binary, I was coming at it from a very like, yeah, but I don't get it. Like, what, what do you mean? And so I was... Sort of, I don't want to say bigoted, but probably bigoted is the right word. But as I've progressed, I haven't gone down the route of I will empathise with this because I literally mm-hmm. I can't imagine not identifying with one of one either male or female. I just can't do it. It's like it's not in my brain. But I don't need to empathise with a non-binary person to understand and to respect their identity. And I think that's a skill that a lot of people do unfortunately seem to lack, and it's it's so annoying because I'm like I don't need to. Put myself in your shoes to understand what it's like to be non-binary. Mm. I just need to be like, okay, you're non-binary and I don't get it, but fine, live your best life, you know. Because yeah. it's easy. This is a very good caveat to what I just said, um, and it's funny because I literally
1: I've had a script because um, I script my videos in advance um, because I'm not that good at like you know, <laughs> blurting out things. Uh, <laughs> I tend to go on tangents and I take five minutes to say something that I could have said in 30 seconds. Um, yeah, so I have to scri- script my, my videos and there's a script that is exactly what you just said. Um, it's more specifically about the trans experience, but that also includes uh, the non-binary experience and the, the TLDR is I don't get the non-binary, like being non-binary, I don't get feeling trans. Um, Because I don't that's because i'm quite comfortable in my cis identity, however, that doesn't mean that people who experience that don't exist or are not valid, it simply means that they have a different experience than mine and and that's okay and. So yes, that's the limitation of empathy because we cannot entirely rely on empathy. There's all, there also has to be uh, um, an amount of, of compassion and sympathy because there are certain ex- things that I will never feel myself and I should not rely on my ability to feel something um, or to understand how it feels to then decide whether someone's existence is valid or not and this is the point this is where the other part of the work, work is very important is to learn to de-centre yourself and to learn that your perspective is not you don't have the, uh, the exclusivity of or exclusiveness of, um, of objectivity, right? Everything is subjective. Your experience, your perception of things are subjective and they are going to be informed and influenced by your position in society, by your own experiences, by your identities, um, by your privilege and your disadvantages. All of that is going to inform your perspective And that is bias in itself. We all are biased by our own experiences. So accepting that your way is not necessarily the only truth is something um, that is very important. And this this is what I like to put under the umbrella of colonial mindsets, is like the assumption that the way you think is the right, is the center, um, is the right way and is the center. Um, And that's something that goes usually with with being in a privileged position of being white, being Western, being male. Uh, Some of those privileges, I do share them. I do have them, but I always try to acknowledge it whenever I step into a conversation. Um, You know, those are my privileges. Those privileges come with blank spots. So that means that there are inevitably going to be certain areas and certain experiences that i cannot be aware of and that's okay there's nothing wrong with that but that means i need to listen to the people who do experience that and i need to accept that their experience gives them a perspective that might be different from mine and mine is not necessarily better than theirs
0: i love that like the way that i say it is like my favorite sentence for saying that as simply as I can is if ever I'm responding to one of the people we've just mentioned, like someone who seems a bit ignorant, I'll always say, cause they'll always give their own like anecdotal example of like, well, I don't like gay people because once a gay man looked at me and I'm like, yes. I always respond with your experience is not the experience. And that's all I ever say to them because I'm just like, you can't, you can't rely on it. And it's like, You know, before we started filming, I was talking about like how my life was before all of this and like I was so hedonistic, you know, I like Mm -hmm. one thing that always bothered me about the UK the whole time I've been growing up is um, Islamophobia because I went to school with a couple of people who weren't like the rest of us in school. They weren't white and they clearly believed in a different religion and you could hear and see the little shitty comments that people made. And so th- that was my understanding of what racism was, because to me, my ignorant ass mind, I was like, surely people aren't racist against black people anymore, really. Come on, not in England. And then yeah. when Black Lives Matter happened and all my mates were like, well, no, this is what my life has been like my whole life. I was like, because all of a sudden I was like, fuck, like, I haven't known this. And that was the first time, the first time I ever said, your experience is not the experience, was to myself about that. I was like, your your perception of how people's lives have gone is nothing like the reality. You see it through the gilded mirror of being a, a like a pr- objectively privileged guy, even though I grew up like, not like super poor, but we definitely didn't have a lot of money. But I grew up with so much privilege behind me. And the first thing to do was acknowledge that. And the biggest thing that I find is that people immediately get angry when you say that they carry privilege because they're like, well, my mm-hmm. life's been hard though. And it's like, I'm not saying that your life hasn't been hard, but I'm saying it's not been made harder by these things. And that's all that means. Your privilege isn't that you're better than people. It's that you haven't been dragged down by something else. That's all it means. And people are like, oh, and that's when you know that you can make some headway with them when they acknowledge that and they don't get angry about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I tend to no longer have this conversation because I feel that at this point, there's no way that they would not have heard this explanation of privilege before so if they're still coming up bringing up that kind of arguments that means that they weren't listening before so they're not going to be listening now anyway so there are certain things that i'm like i'm not going back to the lesson that we we taught two years ago right so you either get it if you still at this point don't get it i know that it's willful ignorance it's intentional it's because It goes against your interests, therefore you choose not to understand it, not to hear it, but there's no way i'm the first person that you meet who explains to you the true meaning of privilege at this point. Um, And that I apply that to my social media content. Um, As a trainer that's still part of the training, the opening of the training does an exercise to make people understand their privilege, but that's completely different because it's like in a controlled environment where people are less likely to shut off. So we tried to make an exercise around that and, and so that, that's something that I'm willing to do as a trainer because I'm fucking getting paid for it. But now on social media, I'm not wasting my time, my energy, my spoons explaining again and again and again privilege. Um, because again, we have to we have to understand that our energy, our strength, like our ability to deal with that is finite. And if we want to be good, good advocates or activists or however you call that, um we have to be uh smart about where we invest our time and energy and who we try who we respond to um and there was something oh yes what i wanted to say about what you just said is your ability to understand that your perspective was not the center and and to empathize was probably thanks to your experience as a gay man and you're probably less like because you already had had a taste of what it's like to exist outside of the norm and you use that to then understand okay well this is how it feels and i see the straight people around me completely don't get it and that's completely invisible to them my experience and my experience of oppression is invisible to them and therefore from that you're able to understand well there are probably other experiences that are invisible to me Uh, so that's a good example where Being a gay man should make you more more understanding of of other people's struggles and understanding of racism and that worked with you. But unfortunately, there are so many people who again use that to disqualify and dismiss instead of empathize and they're like well i'm gay and I don't see that and I know what it's like to suffer, therefore you shut up i'm not interested in hearing your experience so well done.
0: (laughs) Thank you. I think, like, I remember when all of that kind of thing first happened, because like I said, you know, like, there were a few Asian people in school who I heard, like, really horrible stuff about. And I was just like, it just, it always nonplussed me, because that's, I just don't think I'm wired that way. But at the same time, it was very, they'd be like, I'm not even going to repeat the stuff they said, because it's grim, and I don't want to know, but like, the stuff that they would say about them, and then they would say stuff about gay people. And so in my little brain, Mm. it was like, well, that's not true about me. So why would that be true about them? And it kind of blossomed from there. But it definitely needed a catalyst for me to understand the broader context in society and like, you know, intersection and stuff. And one thing it was you actually, um, in conjunction with you and a video that I saw once of um, like a young black guy in America who was like, "I really don't need any like white twinky gay guys to be telling me about like how difficult it is being gay because blah blah blah." And my, oh my and I, I remember telling you this. I my immediately was like, "Uh, what the fuck?" Because I was like, "I'm being attacked to quote RuPaul." <laughs> And then it took me, it was as I messaged you, I was like, this is stupid. Why are you getting offended by something that's not aimed at you? And this is why I make videos the way that I do. I know that I'm not perfect. And I'm like, watch me take the journey. And if I fall on my face and I'm an arsehole, then I'm going to be like, here's why I'm an arsehole. And I'm going to teach you why you shouldn't be an arsehole like I just was. Because a lot of it comes with ego. And there is a question that I wanted to ask you, because I don't know if I'm just doing the like, hi, I'm white and I'm going to overthink everything because I've got the luxury of doing it. But... There's something that's been bothering me for a while about certain platforms, which is when there's a when there's a person who's anti-racist and they're white and all they do is center themselves. Like I I don't know if I'm overthinking this, but when you make a platform about anti-racism, obviously anti-racism is important. But if that's all you do, are you not still profiting off of the the existence of racism and centering yourself in something that's a really negative experience for people of color? And should you not be more cognizant of the fact that every fucking time you post a video going, "Hi, I'm white, and I'm going to teach you about anti-racism," even if you're bringing a person of color in, you still you still benefit. So that's still perpetuating like white supremacy. Like, is that not like? Am I overthinking? Because I feel like when I first started thinking this, I was like. I'm just not going to acknowledge this because I don't know if this is just my brain going me, 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 me.
1: Well, the good news is, no, you're not overthinking. The bad news is I don't have an answer to that because it is something that I have been, I sometimes I see some discourse on social media, on the internet, and I actually disagree with it And regarding that. But so I want to make it clear that this is my opinion that is not fully baked and that i'm still open to input and that this does not represent necessarily the majority of the opinions of black activists or black advocates or black creators but i have felt that there have been instances for instance uh robin d'angelo robin d'angelo is a the woman who came up with the term white fragility now there have been countless authors and and like black people who have been talking about similar phenomenon they they just didn't name it, label it, white fragility. And so some people get upset because she gets all the credit and she gets to tour the world with that principle. She gets interviews and, and she ends up taking up space that could have been taken by some black, black voices who have been talking about those things for a very, very long time. Um, and I understand that. My, where I would disagree is that if robin d'angelo for being a white woman reaches an audience that would not have naturally stepped into that those circles and if she manages to then open up their minds to potentially then some black authors some black thinkers to to then step in then i think that's a net positive i think that's good now i can understand that if she does not pass along and she stays and she keeps benefiting from it without trying to open up to other people, then that's a problem. And then there's the question of until when is it too much? When are you benefiting too much from it? When are you becoming too famous as a white person talking about racism? And the thing is, there is no objective Truth. There is not a line that everybody is going to agree on where everybody, like the council of Black people, are going to say, okay, you've done enough now, time to step aside. And so it's a very comp- complicated question. I don't necessarily have an answer. All I know is that I have. Seen people going against robin d'angelo and i didn't really agree with with them because i still think that she did something. if she managed to do something that black people would not have the audience for then that's good Um, and the way i apply it to myself because i can't necessarily answer about you but i can tell you that i've had the same kind of thoughts because i have my own privileges as well i am cisgender i am a man that's already uh, so I am light skin, uh, So those are privileges that afford me a certain audience that I know that someone darker than me, less cis than me, uh, and, you know, or, or, or someone who's not a male would not necessarily have had access to. And, well, there's also, I have beauty privilege. I have worked as a model for more than 15 years, so I'm fully aware of that. And I know that thanks to those privileges, I can reach an audience that other people may not have access to and i'm also well spoken, in a sense, even though I have an accent, but I use. Nice words that can give me some credibility where other people who might be saying exactly the same thing as I do. might not be listened to because they'd be dismissed because of of the way they talk, etc, so i'm aware of those privileges, so what I try to do is. I try to open the door. So I always try to amplify, uplift uh, people who are more marginalized than me. Um, So I talk about my own experiences, but if you look at what I do, for instance, how um, my stories on Instagram, most of the time, I reshare or uplift or amplify voices of creators who are technically more marginalized than me. So I think that this is my responsibility. This is my way of trying to give back. So this is where, I would love to, if, if there was a more of an, a consciousness and a, of an awareness on the left of if we would all perceive ourselves as part of a leftist pipeline, because we all know that there's the alt-right pipeline. It starts with some voices that seem moderate, fairly moderate and reasonable. And then before you know it, you end up on the, on the far right. We know that exists on the right. Why would we not try to do the same on the left? And that means that we accept that there will be people who are maybe more moderate than we are. But if we stop spending our time trying to shoot them down and trying to cancel them, or I will take that word away because cancel is not really a thing and it's usually used against, against minorities and more specifically black people. So yeah. canceling is not a thing. Put that on record, uh, but uh, try to, to try to basically, I think that there's too much in fight. And if we would all perceive ourselves as, you know, there's some people who are going to be more radical than me and people who are going to be less radical than me. But we all work together as part of that pipeline. I think that we could be, um, we could have better results. Uh, so they, I do, I spend my day when I scroll on on TikTok or on Instagram, I see people, sometimes friends, people I'm mutuals with, and they say things that I'm like, no i actually disagree with you but i'm not going to come out publicly trying to be like no actually you're wrong for this this and that because i'm like okay do i fundamentally disagree with their goal no i don't i may disagree with the method i may disagree with certain words that they use but i think that if they get people who would be on the right to then suddenly agree with them that, and bring people closer to my opinion then that's a net positive and i'm not going to spend energy trying to argue against them and i wish that more people were doing that as well um just like be like okay i don't necessarily fully agree with you but it's fine because overall the we are in this together we're actually playing for the same team so if you win i win too and and but there's not enough of that group consciousness i believe
0: one of the main things that drives me to distraction is that everyone on the left will accuse everybody else on the left of being a Tory enabler. And my firm stance is (laughs) the only person who enables the Tory is someone that votes Tory. If you are a hardcore socialist who believes in all of that, then fantastic. I'm, I've moved further and further towards that, but I'm also very patient and pragmatic and realize that in a country where 44% of people voted essentially for the far right in the last election, we have a lot of work to do before we get people to believe openly in more leftist policy, even if they agree with it when you read it to them. It's about patience and it's about joining together. And I don't care if you are... I, like, I, I'll happily have con- conversations with people who are the normal kind of centrist, not the person who's like, <laughs> well, I know they want genocide, but you guys should probably listen to what they say because they make good points. Like actual, you know, pragmatic people and people who are center left and people who are where I am and then people on the super, super far left. Cause I'm like, I see it as beautiful that we have this big coalition of people that if we just work in concert, we could tip everything in our favor It's just annoying, you know, there's so much beauty to be had in leftist politics and in in the fact that we believe in better for each other and ourselves and everything. The problem that I think we have is that everybody thinks that their struggle is the most important. And of course it is because, you know, we, we want to look after people who suffer and struggle. But the issue is, how do you go about prioritizing that? And I think the key thing to realize is no one struggle is more important than the other. We just have to acknowledge that there's a lot of them and get into power so we can start doing things about it it's not about your struggle anyway exactly that's the thing and you know one of those things that it's a bit like stepping back from a painting a little while ago i suddenly had this sort of like just this vision in front of me of well people of color struggle comes from complete ignorance and and really shitty rhetoric that's been pandered about for hundreds of years but then trans people have also existed for that long. And as they become more prominent, they went from being a bit of a curiosity to suddenly everyone hates them. And and then that links with this and this, and just suddenly this huge- And then working of... class people are still being humiliated on a daily basis by the
1: policies that are being taken by by the media, by mm-hmm. the kind of reality TV shows that you you see when you switch on the television. And they're all linked. It's all yeah. the same. It all relies on the creation of an underclass that can be easily exploited and that has no class consciousness, that's all the same goal, so racism serves that goal, classism serves that goal, transphobia serves that goal, so dismantling one begins with dismantling the entire system that needs a, an underclass to function, so we all have all of those fights, they're actually the leads to the same thing, so we should be able to fight together
0: i think a lot of it is about unlearning things as well because that was one of the main things that i discovered the stuff that you fed throughout your whole life i still I, i like i'm trying really hard to work on this i live um my flat is like quite nice but i live in a really crappy area of leeds where i've actually lived before after uni and i'll walk past people who are trying to think of the best example of generic like like it'll be like a guy in really messed up trackies pushing his pram and shouting on his phone and I walk past him and I'm like why why are you doing that what's he done besides existing Mm. why why are you giving him the face like why are you immediately on guard and I've it's it's never people like that that cause me issues anyway it was the other day I'd finished at the gym I was walking out of town and a guy in a suit was harassing a woman so I took my headphone out wait and see if he'd do it again so i could be like do you want to just leave her alone and before he he could he started harassing me Mm. you have to untangle these things because you're that guy with the but for dint of whatever you you are that guy who's pushing the pram and but the people who exercise that power of you know superiority they're the ones that you aren't ever going to be like they're completely alien to you and so you need to untangle any distaste you have for anyone who's who because we're all the same with because you said an underclass there's a definite overclass in the uk of the people that administrate who it is that we don't like and why and all of that is furthered yeah. by some of the crap that you see in the media the reason i'm so into this is because i studied media and so i understand how the media works and that's why when i see a headline written a certain way with a certain word the first thing i'll do is post it online and be like, this is not right this is polemicism do not believe this and people are like Yes, yes. And every time it gets shared, please let that reach a few people who will just, Mm. oh that's nonsense. And this is where I'm going to be a little bit controversial
1: with you, a little bit antagonistic. Well, not antagonistic. But um, so I want to preface this by saying that what you just said, I think is absolutely necessary and um, we need it. We need it again. I'm talking about coalitions here, we are coalescing towards a common goal and within that coalition we need to attack from different angles and that angle is absolutely necessary, however, my personal belief is that there is too much of it, and I see too much content. My opinion again i'm not saying there's too, but like I feel that there's too much content that is aimed at basically the messages look at how bad the Tories are look at how bad the Tories are and i'm like. Yes, we know. And look and yet look at the elections, look at who people vote for. So you might be right and that's great, but it's not working. It's not reaching the people who need to somehow. And I even I don't understand why. And it really, really hurts. Not, not hurt me, but it like fucks me up that they don't get it. But for whatever reason, they don't get it. And sometimes I'm tired of being right because being right is not enough. Yeah. and i so i try to like find something to connect with the people and and sometimes like i always agree with you and with like so many other creators on on TikTok on instagram and stuff but i'm like i'm tired of you guys being right too because that's not enough yeah. and and i wish that there was more of an effort To really find the thing that resonates with people, rather than just repeating that the Tories are terrible because, yes, they are, and yes, the policies that they pass are absolutely scary and terrifying. But the people who need to see that they 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 know it, and for some reason that's not enough to sway them, so what is not working here, and I wish that we came together to try to have this reflection of what are we doing wrong in being right because. That's not resonating with people. That's not deconstructing the uh, indoctrination that has been happening in the UK. And I think that that the same thing happened in 2016 with Donald Trump. it's at the beginning everybody who was who had the platform and who was in the media and stuff they were laughing it off. That was so obviously terrible. And the next thing you know, the guy is elected. So it's like that was what seemed absolutely terrible and. You know, so just showing how something is bad when itself doesn't work, then we need to do something else. And this is where I'm like forming this thought and this and theorizing of there's I'm, I'm putting that's completely fictional and that's in my head, but I'm, I'm categorizing the kind of like advocacy or um, 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 what's the word, activist content. I'm putting it into two categories. I'm putting it, there's either addictive content and subtractive content. And I would say that subtractive content, that's some that's content that tries to undo or to deconstruct discourses. And that would probably be most of what you do on, 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 on social media or at least publicly, uh, which is showing how something is bad, how the Tories are bad, what they're doing again, what is the newest scandal that they're involved in. And then there's the addictive content. Uh, additive, not addictive. Uh, well, I wish it was addictive. But <laughs> additive content, which is to just adding something, which would be something like showing how a different world would be possible. Or, but it's it's not just that. But it could be if you marginalised just existing, just like showing your joy, your pride in in being a gay man for instance and like talking about it and that i tried to apply it to me for instance when i was in guadeloupe i spent a few months in in my home island in the caribbean and and by just talking about the, the the joys of being there the beauty of the land and stuff like that i think that's that too is activism because it's showing how we can exist and and it's kind of like diminishing the impact of the terrible things that are happening not to soothe and like to sort of anesthetize i don't know how to pronounce that word but like like put us into sleep and 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 put us in a situation where we would not want to to make a change but to just show that we can exist in a better way Um, so i tried to do a little bit more of the additive content even though i'm not gonna lie like i sometimes add that into the sub- subtractive kind of content too. Like just before coming online with you, I posted something um, sort of deconstructing someone who was having a very transphobic discourse. So I do that too, but I try to always keep in mind that this should not be the most of my content. Now, I'm not saying that everybody should think the way I do. Um, and again, that, that type of content is also absolutely necessary. But sometimes I get frustrated because I'm like, that does not work. That's not reaching the people you're hoping to reach. We know you're right. So what now?
0: When it comes to what's been happening with me, I became aware of this a little while ago and again, it was someone else. All you're doing is talking about how shit they are. That doesn't help me. as always knee jerk reacted with like oh shut up like I'm talking about something really bad that's necessary to talk about but the more I've thought about it the more I've realized that I need to up my game and learn how to do things more because I the problem that I have with it is there's been this established playbook for such a long time of if someone does something bad then they will be called out for being bad and they will be punished for being bad and they're gone and people won't do the bad thing. And the Tories have taken that and gone and thrown it out of the window, but we're still here telling them that they're bad, expecting them to do that. They don't play by that rule book anymore, but we still do. And that's where I'm struggling. And I just, because I'm new to this, because I was hedonistic and ignorant before 2019, I would say, I don't really know how to get myself over and start fighting in a new way, but it's that, that I really want to do. So for me, You know, when when someone says stuff like that to me now, I'm very much like, yep, I give me ideas or tell me what to do or tell me where the resources Mm -hmm. are or whatever, because that's the whole thing. It's 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 so like genuinely without sounding like a dick, it's so easy to sit back and be like Boris Johnson's a fat eared twat and people will be like, oh, follow and like and amazing. That's not what it seems like it. And it's like I said to you, I get why people call me a grifter because it's easy to say that a guy that shit at his job is shit at his job. It's easy, it's bottom line. But I you know, get up in the morning and I sit and I write down about what I've been reading in the papers and I'll link stuff and then I'll do research on what something is and then I'll sit and talk about it. And I need to make that leap into the next stage of actually doing stuff to practically fight back. But it's so mm-hmm. alien to what I've experienced my whole life that I don't know what the next move is. And so I kind of feel like I'm dancing in the dark sometimes and I, I just I, like I wish that I wish that I was smarter in the, the sense of understanding what I have to do to reach out to those people and and be like, I don't think you understand that you deserve so much more than a government yeah. that tolerates you tolerance is my least favorite word and that is exactly what the tories do they tolerate these people that vote for them in their ignorance because Mm -hmm. they don't like the foreigners coming here and they're going to send them to rwanda or whatever the hell it is i just want to be like you are worth so much more than that but you have to see it before i can make you understand but i don't know how to do that for you and i also don't want to i don't want to speak down to people that that's been their entire life experience. Everyone speaks down to the people that need to hear this stuff the most. And I don't want to do that, you know?
1: Well, I can say, so I can tell you what I try to do. And I completely agree. The answer is complicated. I don't have the answer to, I wish I knew. Uh, I'm, this is what I'm, I think I'm dedicating myself now is to try to figure out how to connect with the people who end up making decisions that make absolutely no sense to me. But it makes sense to them, and I think that it's my duty. If I want to be able to try to influence them, I first must, I first must understand why they they, they acted or thought the way they did. Um, I'm going to tell you two, like the two big slap in the face that I've received and that have made me like try to figure that out. The first one was Brazil, Brazil 2018. Um, it was a country that I really idealized and and more specifically Lula uh, as a presid- president in Brazil. It seemed like it seemed to me that he was the only example in history of a leftist uh, head of state who had like there was nothing wrong with him. He didn't like he did only good things. And and he would even after he left power, he was still highly revered and, and considered as as a success his presidency was seen as a success and i'm like there's i can't think of any other example of of leftist government that would have left on a on a good note um it turns out that after Dilma and like things went wrong but at the time that he left things seemed to be good um and then suddenly next thing i know brazil votes for bolsonaro which was is much worse than trump and he's the worst of the worst possible and it's like how could the, that, that, that entire nation who had a taste of their life getting better and, and everything getting better can choose, willingly choose to put themselves under the, 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 the force of such a incompetent and despicable government? And that was a choice. They voted for him. So that was the first slap in the face. I'm like, this does not make sense to me. I need to understand. So I needed to make sense of it. And the second slap in the face happened very recently in my home island of Guadeloupe, which I tended to idealize as, you know, like culturally and I'm fully aware of its limitation. It's a small island. It's fairly traditional and religious and stuff. But I still thought like that we were better than we were because in the French elections uh, last month, um, Guadeloupe voted uh, by 70% in favour of the far-right candidate, Marine Le Pen, who's, who comes from a, a, a long history of, of racist policies. Uh, so it was like, how did that happen? How is it possible? That has to make sense to me. And me keep like talking over those people and telling them what's right, what's wrong is not working because the things that I used as example and that are praised as a good examples, they completely crumbled in front of my eyes so i think that this is what i'm trying to dedicate my my content towards now there's going to be much more listening trying to give those people a voice not a voice in the sense i don't want to give them a platform to be racist or to be uh, bigots or stuff like that but i want to i want in my content i want them to recognize themselves in my content and i want them to recognize that i'm trying to uh do something like connect with them so i talk about their struggles i talk about the way that we the, the working class is being disenfranchised i talk about how black people have been disenfranchised and how similar it is to other um, ways of disenfranchising other people so i try to create those bridges i try to talk about their experiences um i try to limit myself to experiences that i have to and if those are not my experiences, I will try to make someone from that experience speak uh, on my platform. But yeah, so really trying to, I always think like how I want to make sure that someone who would see this and that I want to convince, I want them to feel recognized and at least respected in my content. So that also means no more shaming, you know, shaming people for voting Brexit or no more shaming people for. Um, you know, voting Tories and stuff like that, or voting far right, but trying to understand like, oh yeah, people in Guadeloupe, they really hate the Macron government because this 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 and that happened. So this is why, at that point, it seemed to them even a better solution to get Macron out, even if that meant having Le Pen, then continuing with five more years of that. and. I disagree with it, but there's no point in me coming onto TikTok to say how much I disagree with it, because I'm going to alienate those people that I'm trying to connect with, because we, and it's the same in the UK, it's the same everywhere, if we want to win, if we want the current government to be kicked out, we are going to need to convince those people. We're not going to win if we don't win them over. And how do we win them over? We need to find a way to connect with them and to we need to be the voice that they feel represents their struggles and respect their struggles and my concern is that sometimes by t- keeping repeating how stupid it was to vote brexit and how bad a decision it was to vote Tory, they're not going to listen to us and be like oh yeah maybe you're right i'm going to vote for you next time like no that's not how it worked so that, that's that's how i feel
0: one thing that bothers me uh, and i get this a lot and the thing is i agree and i'm trying to be more open about this in particular you'll probably have noticed um i'm being more critical of the shortfalls that i see in in not just labor but in labor in particular because like it, it really fucks me off that they 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 don't you know like all i ever get is like you know you, you talk shit about tories but why would i vote labor and honestly i used to come up with a blank i'd be like because they're not tory and then i'm like that's not good enough and it's not it's not it just, i mean no matter how shit they are it's it's a tenuous reason and so for me yeah. i wish there was more transparency with other political parties not just labor because my hope is for a coalition i my, my long hope is that i want proportional representation because i feel like there's a very broad coalition of left-wing politics that deserves a voice in the uk and i think for me it's time that I stop just saying, well, at least they're not the Tories because, yeah, but like, yeah, they'll come in and mm-hmm. they'll, they'll clean up a bit, but I, I want improvement. I want this country to be better. I want like, I don't want there to be people who struggle to afford having kids or struggle to afford paying the bills at all, ever. And I know that that's difficult, but it's, don't tell me it's an impossibility because this shouldn't be like it shouldn't be you know maybe i'm hopelessly idealistic but i want the world to work for the people that live in it and i don't really see why that's a controversial take i don't i refuse (laughs) to accept the limitations of the politics that we have because we're told that some people have to or will exist in that state and i think that's shit because so i pay so i pay 37p more tax a month and so do you, and so does everyone else. And it means that there's people out there that aren't living in abject, embarrassing, mind-numbing poverty. I don't give a fuck. Take the money. But when it comes to other stuff, I, do, like, I just want to try and... You are completely right, and I'm glad you said it, really, because it's something that's been brewing in my head for a while. I don't want to be just another person who capitalises on the fact that our government's shit to like make a quick buck on the internet. The whole point is... I really like, and I know that it's hard for people to believe and that's fine, but I really do give a fuck. I really, really want, that. not just not just England, but I want the world to be a better place. And the way that that's done is with fair politics. And you are right. I'm never going to convince people if I'm slagging them off. I, I've said it a few times on my Brexit videos. I don't hate Brexiteers anymore. And I understand that quite a lot of people were voting. They weren't voting for Brexit. They were voting against the status quo and i could again i could attribute that to the tories but it's not just the tories there was hangover from a government that completely went off the rails before them and i think it's probably is past time that we start listening to people
1: i always say that for fascism to thrive it takes really clever fascists but also an exceptionally incompetent left Mm. and every every time it's happened in every country it was the combination of those two factors and and i'm absolutely baffled to i I'd also be like whenever i hear tories i, I just think tory gonna tory right tories gonna tory so they're just doing what they what they said about doing and th- that's no surprise they were always clear about that they're a far-right government and they're doing far-right stuff and i'm like yeah no point in talking about that what baffles me and frustrates me more is the incompetence of the labor party the incompetence of the left that make that happen too they share a responsibility an equal responsibility in the rise and the success of the tory is the left incompetence and that's something that really frustrates me and that's i think that's a way to connect with the people who have deserted uh, the labor is to start by acknowledging how incompetent the left is uh, to try to resolve the problems that they're facing and i agree with them on that i don't agree that the tories were a better solution But I absolutely agree that the left has completely failed in trying to address their problems and their everyday life issues. And I think that this is a way to connect with those people. And if that means undermining the Labour Party, I'm more than happy to do that. Um,
0: Yeah. I think that's, we just have to, it's like I said, we have to look at different solutions because when they've just completely besmirched everything that came before, we have to move on from the way things have been. I don't think that you know, talking along similar but just less extreme lines is really a good idea. I understand because, <laughs> you know, I waver a lot. I'm always like, you know, I see voting in Labour as the brakes on a runaway train. It would slow it down, and then we could take a breath and yeah. make a next move. You know what? Not the worst-case scenario, but, in, you know, I say it, I, I had a conversation with my friend last week, I think it was, and I said, I'm what you could refer to as a really, really patient lefty. I want mm-hmm. like really progressive politics. I I have this vision in my head for how I want things to be, and it it would work so well for people. I'm not a genius. I don't I don't know how to draft policy. I don't know about budgeting, blah blah blah. But I know how I want politics to be, and I keep watching it. It'll be it'll be five years down the line. Well, it'll be it'll be seven years down the line. It'll be, it'll be about ten, about probably a decade, fifteen years. It, well, it might be twenty. How long do you have to wait? This system just is not working for the vast majority of people and so oh. if if the if the less if the least shit scenario is get labor in and then hopefully work on progressive politics but sometimes i just want stuff to work you know and yeah i hope that that's what i hope that that's what happens the only worry i have with that is i just don't want there to be a snapping point because i worry so much about the people that will suffer if there's like if you want to call it a revolution or whatever but at the same time, I sense this inevitability with it. And that's what's a bit frightening.
1: The thing is this system maintains itself mm. through um, by making it through people's complacency and, and by making us unaware of how we're being fucked over. So I think that and, and in a sense, Centrist policies like Labor's um, and and Keir in, in particular, like this this kind of thing. Yes, I understand that. Yes, it will slow down the train, and it, we will it, we will hit the wall a little bit slower. But like there's the the, op, the the other side of that argument is is it not participating? Is it not just maintaining the system? Is it not helping the system stay the way it is, uh, which we agree needs to change? So. And I understand that it's a it's it's a complicated position and I don't necessarily have an answer. All I can say is, for instance, my mom has always been someone uh, because my mom is a lefty Marxist and all that. And I, for a very long time, disagreed with her because she would always say left or right. Like, you know, the the equivalent of the labor in France or the equivalent of the Tories, they're basically the same bullshit. And I always used to disagree with. um, But since the last French elections, I i am like, I understand it. That's not necessarily a view that I fully embrace, mm. but I understand people who do think that way. And I'm like, OK, well, yeah, I I see your point. I may not still agree with it, but it's not something that I would call irrational anymore. Now I get it. I get why people think that way.
0: The main thing I'm going to do is just try and hear people out. There's some people that you just you can't hear out, you know, like, i i I tend to attract extremists on twitter in particular like they'll come to me with these absolutely fucking bizarre ideas and i'm just like i'm please double whatever medication you're on or whatever it is that you need to not (laughs) think that but when it comes to people that have gripes and moans i don't want to contribute to not listening to them anymore because even if i don't agree like what's the harm of hearing them out like it's not it's not going to kill me and if they're right because that's the other thing as well i think a lot of no matter how small your platform is and arguably, obviously yours is a lot bigger than mine but mine is arguably not really that small anymore like if you come at it with the ego of like um my my ideas are right because and i've done it i've tweeted people and been like well obviously i'm right, and you're stupid it's never gonna it's never gonna reach people and then you shouldn't be embarrassed to be wrong either. And that's something that social media, I've noticed, has really affected. Even in terms of yesterday, mm. I had a really, really, really bad migraine and it was awful. And oh my God, the amount of people that were like, Are you sure it's a migraine and it's not actually a mix of TMJ and a, like a gas leak? And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, I don't, just wanted to put on the internet, man, migraines suck. And everyone's like, Hello here's my degree <laughs> in, uh, in nonsensology and i'm just like we don't it's need like unsolicited to... opinion yeah like we don't need to be experts and one of the things the re- one of the reasons that i enjoy what i do still on the internet and get some joy out of it is that i can be like hi i'm probably a bit dense in this area so teach me and i'll repeat the stupid version for other people and then they can go off and mm-hmm. learn because i just don't want to have an ego about it because it's just pointless it's absolutely pointless
1: and something that I've noticed, especially in social media, is that now having doubts or or being nuanced or being open to having your mind changed, that is perceived as weakness. And some people, I don't know how they smell it, they sense it. They're like sharks in the water. People who have. Never interacted with your content before. They may have never seen you before. Suddenly, they're all in your comment section. Like you wrong. You have to apologize. How could you say that? How dare you? And it's like um, I held an opinion, and then I explained why I changed my mind. What made you feel that I should apologize in any way? Like you know. And they like they, like vultures. It's incredible that that happened to me with something around uh, Dave Chappelle. And he'd done something shitty, and then it turned out that it was not what it appeared to be, but then he, it was actually shitty. And just the fact that I was open about it and about how my mind evolved around the topic, and people really thought that I was, I was supposed to, like, apologize to Dave Chappelle, the poor Dave Chappelle, and his multimillion uh, net, Netflix specials and stuff, I somehow had to apologize to him for and and it turned out i was right from the beginning but anyway that's not the point but it was really incredible to see how that was perceived as instead of being seen like oh this is really like that's great we all changed our mind and like you know thinking is a journey and stuff but they really all jumped on it as if like i had to be finished for for having changed my mind that's like Something that a way that social media really fucks up with, with the way we think and we
0: interact with each other, I think. Exactly. This was like educational as I knew it would be. So thank you very much. We have been we've been going for, well, I think I jumped on about 20 minutes before we are going for Neil. Yeah, going for quite a while. <laughs> so yeah. we're uh, recording
1: for an hour, but yeah, chatting for a little bit more than that. Which the public won't get to know what we talked about
0: exactly (laughs) it's all it's Um, all it's all private and controversial thank you very much thanks for listening to politically enraged a podcast designed to discuss politics palatably if you're interested in following us on social media you can find me at david moo pretty much everywhere and you can also find us on instagram at politically enraged where you can see the blog you can find us on coffee in case you'd like to caffeinate me and you can find us on twitter at political rages Thanks for tuning in. And remember, stay politically engaged and get politically enraged. Because remember, we deserve better.